This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Blitz is defined as a sudden, savage attack. It is indeed all this. The effect is sure. The premise is simple. It's a basic, primal confrontation, man-to-man. No excuses are offered, none accepted. Welcome to the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Looks like a radio station. Now, here are your hosts, Lifetime Longhorn Rod Babers. Pure athlete, yeah. I transcend race, hombre. Matt Butler. I don't talk man. I back it up. And we are chock full of that, man. Damn right. And Jeff Howe. It's still real to me, damn it. <laughs> and that's the bottom line, because Stone Cold sets up. If you're going to blitz, come strong, but don't come at all. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24-7. I am Jeff Howe, and I'll be damned if I didn't jinx a whole lot of stuff we were looking forward to talking about on this week's show. Uh, Spring practice started. Texas got one practice in, and then it's paused. It's on hold as we sit here right now and record this show. Due to COVID-19, some positive tests, so we'll see when the Longhorns get back on the field. But we'll talk about maybe that one practice and a pretty big event that happened in that one practice and uh, a couple of other things. And we'll also get into some Texas basketball briefly because there is massive news on that front. We'll do it all here on the latest edition of Longhorn Blitz. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drum machine extraordinaire, our man behind the glass, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz. He is a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Not too shabby. And the third member of our team, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres where he earned his degree. Whenever that C-ring comes in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American on recognized by by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program, number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. Rod B, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for the intro, as always. Good to be here, gentlemen. Glad to be here. It's always good when we can uh, convene for this podcast, and we'll talk football here in just a second. But, guys, let's start it off. Let's talk a little Texas basketball. The Shock of Smart era on the 40 Acres is over. I think we all saw this coming after – with that debacle that was a first-round NCAA tournament loss to Abilene Christian. So the coaching search begins, and we're not going to get into the minutia of why it didn't work out for Shaka. We don't have enough time in this podcast or probably the next five or six shows to go over that. But in terms of where the coaching search sits right now, gentlemen, Chris Beard, the Texas Tech head coach, Texas alum, by all indications, everything we've heard at Horns 24-7, he is the leading candidate for the job. Texas has already had a uh, an introductory, a preliminary interview, if you will, with Royal Ivy, Lifetime Longhorn. A, a lot of names, typically the names that you've seen mentioned with other coaching searches around the country. Uh, Eric Musselman of Arkansas, Dana Altman of Oregon, uh, expected to be 
candidates for this Texas job as the Longhorns go through the interview process. Uh, Matt, I'll start with you because this was top of mind for you when you and I got into the studio today. Uh, you're a, you're 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 on the Royal Ivy bandwagon as far as him being the next head coach of Texas, are you not? Uh, well, when I first heard the name, I just started thinking about the fit and. The fit really does seem like something that if you were to envision a hire that maybe would be out of left field to some, maybe not close to the program, but when you're around people that are either close to the program or around Texas basketball, they may be like, hey, that might could be the best person possible because, I mean, you mentioned and everybody knows Chris Beard, his connections with Texas, and he's the guy that if you want – uh, Bobby Knight, pr- principal drill instructor as a basketball coach. That's your guy. You know what you get with him. But with Royal Ivy, I really liked everything when you encapsulate the idea of first we'd hear Mac Brown talk about the, the BBs in a box in the ba- on the football side of things. In the basketball side of things, you never even thought Texas could get to a point where you needed to do such a thing. But if you look at a guy that really was that foundational class, that player that played alongside the best Texas team ever, that then went off and sort of grinded it, I would say almost the P.J. Tucker style of grinding professional basketball for the love of it, didn't necessarily get to the top of the top the way, say, P.J. Tucker has as a player, but he still was on a lot of those teams. He ended his playing career with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook on that team and that really before, you know, was a GA at Texas for a little bit, but then every team he's been with in the NBA sort of marries the modern style of basketball because you talk about Royale Ivy and he's a guy that you just think of as your prototypical college defensive guard, your Rick Barnes, you know, 101, exactly what you would want to have at the collegiate level. But when you look at the teams he's played with and the philosophies behind the teams he's been around, it's some of the fastest paced, best and most efficient offenses that he's seen at the NBA level. He's there right now with the Nets before the connections just with the players. I remember whenever we were first getting into media, even first doing this podcast, and a guy like Royale Ivy was so enthused to be around Texas basketball that it always seemed like he was not the easiest interview, but he was the one guy talking about all the stuff that you wanted to talk about. So even getting to talk to him back in my radio days, I was like, man, that dude, if he's staying coaching, he's going to be a perfect coach. I just really never thought about it going the route of Texas basketball and then if you start to look at some of these guys that go back to the alma maters out of the love of the sport and the love of the alma mater in addition to being at that elite level mind wise for the sport uh the fit it seems like one that you couldn't draw up to be much better Rod, you and Royal Ivy crossed paths when you guys were together on the 48. Yeah. Uh, I, I think Royal the, a yeah, I, I think the culture in the basketball program uh, right now is much better than it was at the end of the Rick Barnes era. But this is a roster that we've already seen with Royce Ham and Donovan Williams going into the transfer portal. Uh, Kai Jones has already declared for the NBA draft. We're expecting he hasn't as of as we sit here and record this episode, Greg Brown is not declared for the draft, but I'm expecting that to happen. This roster, uh, and I've also heard that with the coaching change, a guy like Courtney Ramey might explore his options to to maybe go elsewhere. Uh, you tie all that together, this roster is going to be decimated. So, Rod, I mean, it's it's a it's a tough climb, but if you're if you're investing in Royal Ivy, you're investing a guy that not necessarily for the quick turnaround 
you're investing in a guy that you want to be your head coach for the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah, I mean, I, I like what uh, Matt just laid out there. It's really interesting. I just don't know the last time, if ever, that Texas in its big three sports hired a coach without head coaching experience. Yep. I just don't know if it's ever happened before, uh, but not saying it can't happen, not saying it shouldn't happen. I think that's one thing working against it, but I do like that 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 proposal because Juwan Howard, I think his situation there with Michigan mm-hmm. is also helping the Royal Ivy narrative. I think it was smart by CDC and the administration to interview Royal Ivy, uh, irregardless of what happens. Kevin Durant was very vocal in his support for Royal Ivy. So just in this modern era of player empowerment and also because he's a big booster and a donor, technically, uh, not only just an alumni, I'm glad they did that. I think that was just good. Uh, just, you know, just good, good, good points, if you will, goodwill points uh, for uh, the administration doing that. I, I think it's, it's possible. Um, he's a real candidate. I've uh, heard that my man, um, Kirk Bowles, I think, threw it out there that actually the administration is seriously considering Royal Ivy. It's yeah. not just uh, headlines. I think that if they surround him with veteran coaches, and I don't know what veteran coaches that would be, because uh, that's what Juwan Howard did, all right? They surrounded him, that Phil Martelli mm-hmm. on that staff, um, Howard Easley on that staff. They did a really good job of surrounding him with veteran coaches that could provide counsel to him um, and, and obviously support him and his vision, but give him a lot more experience that he didn't have on that level. I think that's possible with Royal Ivy. I, I like what Matt said, man. He's on the cutting edge of it. Uh, you know the recruiting would be would get a bump and would get a lot of juice because he's just young and energetic and he's obviously a lifetime loan on himself, so he knows how to sell the brand. You got the new arena coming. That's also going to be able to help in itself because that new arena is going to be unbelievable. Uh, so that's going to be a seller point itself, too. So I'm not against the Royal Ivy thing. I think you got to surround him with veteran coaches, though, and you got to be patient, and hopefully Longhorn basketball fans will be patient enough because I don't necessarily think he's going to win immediately uh, when he gets here, kind of how Michigan is now with Juwan Howard because I think Beeline has left him in a really good situation. Yeah, so we'll see what happens on the basketball coaching front. Rod, to your point, uh, we've reported at Hornets 24-7. Chip Brown put together this report uh, Sunday evening. Uh, quote, Royale did have an introduction interview with Texas. Uh, one high-level source told Hornets 24-7. And we talk about alumni support. I mean, Kevin Durant's already thrown his name behind supporting Royal Ivy for this job. LaMarcus Aldridge has done the same. And uh, T.J. Ford told Hornets 24-7 point blank, quote, he's my choice. So mm-hmm. uh, it, you got pro- the two biggest icons in the history of the program and Kevin Durant yeah. and T.J. Ford behind you. Uh, yeah, this ty- this candidate, uh, Royal Ivy's candidacy, I should say, does need to be taken seriously by the administration. So we'll see where it goes. We'll monitor the basketball coaching search. But, gentlemen, let's talk spring football. And I was thinking we'd have a couple practices to talk about, but – Man, we've only got one. We've got one helmets, jersey tops, and shorts practice to talk about. It was practice number one, and then another COVID stoppage. The program had a COVID stoppage in late November, early December for that K-State game, or for the Kansas game, excuse me, uh, that was scheduled to happen. Uh, it was scheduled to be the regular season finale. Texas had some COVID issues. Uh, we were told at Horns 24-7 this situation is somewhat similar to that in terms of just the scope of it. It's not uh, what anybody would call a a full-on outbreak. That's what we were told. But uh, nonetheless, Texas has had to stop practice. 
And Rod, I, I know you had some some takes on this on uh, on your daily show, the Triple Option, which by the way you can hear each and every weekday on the Horn Horn app, HornFM.com from three to seven with Rod, Brad Kellner, and Kevin Dunn. Uh, Rod, we we reported at Horns twenty four seven that uh, the the genesis of this, if you will, could have been some guys maybe going to Miami for spring break, <laughs> and perhaps that's how this happened. Uh, you know. I, I I didn't excuse the behavior, but given everything guys have been through this year with you know COVID and they weren't in a bubble in the fall, but for all intents and purposes they were they were pretty much bubbled up. Uh, you know I I, I I don't fault them for blowing off some steam, but Rod, you had an interesting take just based on your experience, even with a position coaching change. Uh, Rod Babers, if he were in the same position, probably wouldn't have gone to Miami, pandemic or not. No, that just wasn't my style. I didn't go on vac. I didn't go home to hell. I didn't go to Houston over spring break. I always stayed and I always worked because, to me, um, I was always either trying to compete for a job. At least I was my first two years, and then my last two years, man. I'm trying to. I'm trying to get better. Like I just, it's just that simple. And I did have a coaching change from Coach Withers to Coach Akina. Uh, so I think you know when you have a coaching change and I just had a position coach change. So not right. as on the grand scale of these young men, they're dealing with a, a wholesale coaching change. Uh, you know, but I, I think even at, when I was with Detroit, I mean, I remember staying up in Detroit with the Detroit lions in the off season because I was on injured reserve. So I figured, man, the best way for me to make sure that I'm still on this damn team is to show my face around here constantly, right? Because they forget mm-hmm. about me during the season because I wasn't able to play. I didn't put anything on film. Um, so they didn't really know me as a football player. They had to get to know me as a person. So, I mean, one of the reasons that I probably wasn't cut sooner from Detroit, even though I was on injury reserve most of the time, was because, man, I I made sure that I was around there all the time in the offseason, whether it was rehab or in the training room or watching film or you know the guy that's out there on the practice field doing drills i made out i made sure my presence was constant around there and i'm just a little surprised that more of the young men on the campus right now who are playing football didn't decide hey i want to impress these coaches and i can't really do it playing football just yet but the way i can do it is with my work ethic and my attitude and they'll see how much work i put in and you can do that in the weight room. Um, and you ain't, I mean, obviously, I would like it to be genuine, but you think that they'd have the awareness to go, well, I can really impress these coaches by just hanging out here a lot, <laughs> just hanging around here, yeah, uh, being in their office, asking them questions about, you know, the, the, the system and ask them questions about concepts that they want to teach, uh, just being up in their face, standing in the weight room with the, with the new strength and conditioning coach, on the practice fields, all that stuff. I mean, that's how you make an impression on, on a coaching staff. Yeah. And I'm a little surprised that a lot of these guys took a real vacation during spring break. Not only to listen, I, I understand you got to go out. I probably would have been going out during spring break. You can go out on rainy or Sixth Street. Hell, my man uh, Isaiah said he went down the rainy street. He said COVID doesn't exist down there. So people don't give a damn about COVID. So you could have went down here and had a good time. The gov- governor's opened up the damn state. You got to go to Miami. Miami is like Sodom and Gomorrah right now, dude. They're, they oh, yeah. stopped selling liquor <laughs> at around 8 o'clock. No, I'm not joking. They got an emergency curfew they put in effect. They had over 1,000 people, uh, I think, get arrested. They had. Yep, they, they had, got, I think, declared it was a state like of three, emergency. Yeah, dude. They, they, they confiscated like 300-something guns. Man, it's crazy what's going on down there in Miami right now. So I just don't know why you feel like you got to go all the way to Miami 
just to have a good time. You're in Austin. Austin's a spring break town, for God's sake. So I don't know. I'm a little que- – I just question a little – some of the guys' dedication and commitment to it. I understand they got to get out. They got to do their thing. I've never been in a pandemic. Rod B wouldn't have done it. I didn't do it. So I just think that a lot of people – a lot of fans are shocked to, to hear this, but it's not surprising to me that sometimes the fans are more excited about the new coaching change than some of the players. Are. Yeah, and, I, and mean, I know Sark can't do anything because these guys are on spring break and you're not paying these players. They're yeah. they're student athletes. They're amateurs, so you you cannot call them out for what they're doing. But Sark did say it was going to be accountability, right? A way he said he basically I'll paraphrase, but he said we got to have accountability. We're going to have it on the field, and we're going to have it away from the field, right? We're going to be accountable to each other, all that stuff. So it's a test for him because he's already preached accountability and commitment and all these things. And, you know, obviously not all the guys are as focused and zeroed in as probably the majority of the team. So I don't know what players went to Miami, um, but only the players in the locker room can hold their peers accountable. Right. That's going to be the key because Sark can't do it. Sark can't go in. Sark is going to make enemies if he does that. He can't do it but whoever the leaders on the team are and that's another question now right who are the leaders on the team who can call somebody else out how many guys can do it right keandre coburn probably could do it on defense uh maybe overshone can do it because he did a really good job this year proving himself i'm just you know i'm just trying to think what guys have actually put enough skins on the wall and have enough clout and street cred where they can call out the the guys in their locker room call out their peers and guys won't take it personal guys don't understand okay He's just he wants me to get better, man. He wants the team to win. Um, and you know what? He he leads by example. Who are, who are those guys? Yeah. I'm not saying they don't have those guys. I'm saying now is the time where those roles are forged. Yeah, real quick, uh, Matt, I know you got something you want to get to, but like in terms of vocal leadership, like, you know, we've heard B. John Robinson is a guy that's, you know, stepped up in terms of vocal leadership. Well, he, this this is his first spring on campus. So yep. yes, he's one Natural of your better leadership. players. You can argue he is your best, the best player on your roster. But man, that's a young guy, and, and I think Rod, you've, you're at a point now where the leadership you lost. To me, this is really similar to the change going from from 18 to 19, right? Where you lost some pretty powerful voices in that locker room, and people can say what they want to them about about them about uh, as players. But man, you lose a, a Chris Nelson, a Charles Amenahu. Uh, you know, you lose a, a Chris Boyd. Uh, you know, you, you start losing guys. You know, a guy like a guy like Elijah Rodriguez on offense, a guy like Patrick Vahe. You lose some of those voices, guys that have been around a long time. Uh, I mean, it, it takes a little bit for that to that to come back up and, and for your your new group of leaders to emerge. Similar with this team, yeah. I think you lose a Sam Ellinger. Um, mm-hmm. You lose a Taquan Graham, uh, Joseph Osai. You a uh, Joseph Osai. That's those are some really really powerful voices. Uh, it, it's gonna t- it's gonna take some time. Yes, yeah, Sam Cosme on the offensive line. It's gonna take some time uh, for for your new guys to emerge and, and find their voice. And uh, like you, Rod, you mentioned a guy like Demarion Overshone. I think he's at that point, but. Man, it's 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 hard to they say it's hard to help the club when you're in the tub. I don't, I don't know what the rhyme is, but I mean it must be hard to lead when when you're coming off a of labrum surgery and and you're mm-hmm. walking around in a sling and you're not on the yep. practice field with everybody else. So it's just it's one of those kind of I'm with you, Rod. It's I don't it's not a concern for me, but it's just one of those it's one of those just weird transitional times right now in terms of leadership. And yep. when you talk about the players and just on the specific level from one case to the other, I think this may be more telling of a personality because as Rod displayed and talked about his time, like Rod viewed Texas as 
this was almost a professional opportunity for to do what he wanted to do. But every player of the '85 on the roster has different personalities coming into it. To where, like, like you said, Jeff, I don't know if you're going to have, say, a coach looking down upon somebody because every kid or college kid has the right to go. But yeah. now that becomes one thing that you have a piece of evidence you've given to the coaches to where they have a little hint maybe towards your intentions or your fun. And I mean, I remember. I was the kid going to spring break, and I remember every time going to South Padre, there'd be a big group of Texas football players, and some of the best stories of my life came from those days. Those things happen all the time. So I totally understand, and you can totally have kids go to spring break and be the hardest workers out there possible. Now, there may be fewer and far between and dispersed amongst the others, but it's the one type of thing that you can't really say – you know, penalize a kid for doing it. They have every right to do it, but that's just giving a piece of your personality to the coach. To so he's like, okay, well, now next time that you say you're doing something, maybe I am not going to be as trustworthy, or maybe I just am going to do my due diligence as a coach to make sure that you did work as hard as you said you're going to work because you know that the kids that didn't go on that trip and that stayed back and were working on specific routines as if they're professional, maybe the ones that I don't have to worry or just have to th- occupy my mind thinking about what they're doing whenever it's time to be maybe studying a playbook a couple days before a big game or something. There's No, a, I totally agree, but I will say no coaching change for a lot. Of, I don't know if it was a coaching change when you were there, but wasn't a lot of coaching changes no, right. uh, on campus when I was here. So I'm talking about making a good impression on your brand new coaches. This is not a good impression. Exactly. And no, and and number two, we were winning more games. Yep. We were winning more. The program wasn't in such a destitute state. Going. It wasn't. You know what I mean? It it, it wasn't to the point where the standard had dropped so low where Texas football had become a joke and people were mocking Texas football. We were trying to bring it back. Hell, we were winning 11 games and talking, we, we, we thought we underachieved, and we did. Yeah, y'all so had a professional atmosphere. Is, it's, it's, it's a little bit different. A li- and by the way, it's a pandemic. It's a pandemic. <laughs> pandemic. You know what I mean? Like, 100%. So I get what you're saying. You're right. I wouldn't judge them. And by the way, I'd play with guys. They would have done the same damn thing. It's all good. So I'm not saying everybody's going to be totally committed. We know in this country you can't get everybody totally committed. We've been dealing with that with COVID for the last year and a half. So my my point is not I'm not judging these young men, but I am saying as a football player, Mm -hmm. you didn't make a good impression on your boss. That's all I'm saying. Agreed that's fully. All yeah. That's all I'm saying. I'm saying that's a and and that's the point I'm coming from. I'm not coming from judging them about COVID and and all that. I don't. I mean, they're young people, right? If I was young, I probably would have been down on Rainy or Sixth Street too. But I wouldn't have went to Miami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I'm gonna be here working. And you think they worked out in Miami? You're a damn fool. Oh no way. Miami. No possible way. Fool. They went to Miami to act a damn fool and have fun. Good for them. But you think they worked out in Miami? You're crazy. And that should be the top priority. Working out, baby, getting better every day, and that wasn't getting better every day. So the point is, when you have a leader like a, a Colt McCoy who was organizing team activities in the offseason, organizing um, you know seven on sevens with Texas State at the time, or whatever it is, waking right? up Brandon Collins. This is sort of that situation when he's writing on the board. Hey, you want to beat Ohio State? Meet me out in the practice fields. That's that kind of leadership that can galvanize. Though I'm not saying they don't have that, but now that leadership needs to step up and say, "All right, guys, we just 
We just, and I'm saying we, because if any of us decide, there's a weak link in the chain, any of us decide to endanger our spring football, which, by the way, we didn't have one last year. You guys should be really excited about spring. Didn't have one last year. Yeah. <laughs> so you said there are more reasons for them to be committed and stay. So you need to find who, I, who the guys are that aren't as committed and say, all right, listen, I need y'all for three weeks, guys. We got to stay focused for three more weeks, and then we can go on vacation, which, by the way, I did in the offseason a ton because it's the offseason. But spring football season is spring football season. So let's approach it that damn way. And quit being lackadaisical. We only got a little bit of time to get better. New coaching staff, new concepts, new playbook. Let's get our together. Come on. What are we doing, guys? Yeah, uh, real quick, just a sidebar. Uh, Matt mentioned his spring break trips to South Padre. If you're so inclined, you can uh, search Horns 24-7 podcasts anywhere you get your podcast <laughs> uh, to go into the archives uh, or go to the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page and search the archives. Uh but uh, there's a player who, for the purposes of this show, shall remain nameless. But uh, there's a pretty prominent lifetime Longhorn who was once responsible for Matt getting pepper sprayed in, yes. a, in an incident that Matt was adjacent to. So. And I'm pretty sure he also knocked out a guy that calls football on the four-letter network a lot that went to the school north of us. Yeah, so just uh, – if you're so inclined, you can get that in the archives. But uh, by the way, Matt, I've got a present for you at some point that uh, I bought for around Christmas time. That I think I'll just wait and save it and give it to you for uh, for Christmas. I'm down. Uh, that relates to that incident. But at any rate, uh, so you know, Rod, as we transition, I'll say this: you know, the 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 decision of those young men, like I said, it is what it is. Uh, but one thing young people learn and sometimes learn the hard way, your decisions have consequences and the consequences of that decision could be maybe spring practice gets shortened. Maybe you got to cram some things. We'll see what happens. As of right now, we're hearing that Texas isn't planning on asking the NCAA for a waiver. Uh, you know, some schools are talking about getting the, the division one council hasn't made some kind of ruling, but they are allowing schools, the way I understand it, they're allowing schools that do have COVID stoppages to go through a waiver process to get spring practice extended. Uh, we haven't heard that Texas is going to do that or feels like they need to do that at this point. So that's a good thing. So if Texas gets back on the practice field, maybe this is a hiccup, but I think this is maybe just a, I don't know, like a wake-up call, a reminder that, hey, we're still in the middle of a pandemic and, and this thing is still real and you've still got protocols you need to follow. And you got to sacrifice some things if you want to have a full spring practice. And, gentlemen, with one spring practice, I feel bad, Rod, because I sat here on this show last week and said, man, hmm. we previewed the whole offense except for quarterback, and, yes, we'll get to quarterback this week. But I said, man, of all the guys on this roster, Jake Smith could benefit more than anybody from a coaching change. I think the way you know he was underutilized when he wasn't hurt and just a fresh start, and, and we know Steve Sarkeesian knows how to use receivers, and, man, this is going to be great for Jake Smith. And then he goes out practice number one and might have broke his foot at last check. The training staff was going to check to make sure it was uh, differentiating it between a stress fracture or an outright break in the foot, uh, different rehab processes, different recovery processes for two different injuries. But, Rod, losing Jake Smith to a foot injury day one not exactly what I had in mind for the first spring practice. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Uh, I'm I'm a little sad for Jake Smith because I'm with this particular offense with Steve Sarkeesian 
all the different cheat codes that he um, utilized within his offense that Jake Smith could have been a, a, a huge beneficiary uh, of that style. So it's unfortunate because, you know, Texas has been dealing with a lot of, you know, random injuries from some of its, uh, I think some of its key skill guys for the last couple of years, right? Jordan mm-hmm. Whittington's been one of those guys. I'm going to knock on wood because I don't want to jinx my man Jordan Whittington there, but uh, Troy Miri last year, right? High expectations um, and then dealing with an injury. And now, you know, of course, Jake Smith, who's been battling the injury bug himself. And trust me, as a guy who didn't stay healthy enough to make an NFL career out of it. Yeah, man, that's your, your number one player is availability. Got to be available. Got to be able to play through it. I think DeMarvion Overshone conquered that this season, even though he battled through some injuries, um, ended up having, you know, one of his better seasons here at Texas, his best season here at Texas, because there is a a line. You got to figure out how to take care of your body. Everybody's got a different, you know, physiological uh, response to training. And part of your job as an athlete is to learn that and to learn your body and to know, all right, how far can I push myself? Do I need to be at this level? By the time spring football starts or training camp, and it's very difficult. It's not all things were within your control either. But so I just feel bad for him. I uh, I think the wide receiver is a bit of a, a mystery to me, man. That's a because yeah. Troy Mir is going to be limited too, so it's going to be a mystery to me to see who steps up in those roles. It could be a great opportunity for guys like you know Alvante Woodard, who's still there, um, you know, and looking for an opportunity, um, and some other guys. I mean, um, so I I think that's probably the the silver lining of it is that now other guys can take those quality reps and maybe impress Coach Sark. Yeah, it's interesting too, Rod, to add on to that. I mean, Joshua Moore missed the first practice with what we were told was an undisclosed illness, not COVID-related, but missed practice. So that first practice, and it sounded like for the receivers, well, it makes sense depending on at what point in practice you lost Jake Smith. Uh, no more, and, and Troy O'Meary's limited. I mean, you basically at that point, and we know Brennan Eagles is off getting ready for the NFL draft. I mean, at that point, you've got Jordan Whittington and played a whole lot. So against a, a get going, you know, doing your one on ones and your seven on seven work, pretty experienced secondary. I mean, Jaron Thompson, I know, played only late at the end of last year, but played what I thought pretty well for given the circumstances. But I mean, mm-hmm. B.J. Foster's played a lot of football. Those corners, I mean, Josh Thompson and. Uh, Deshaun Jameson played a lot of football. Anthony Cook, Chris Adamore, you got guys in that secondary that played a lot of football. So yeah, it's a tough day receivers. But but I'm with you, Rod. And Matt, I don't know how you feel about this, but man, this is it's kind of sink or swim, right? Like this is a spring where Sark can look at a guy like you know, Rod. You mentioned Alvante Woodard. I'm thinking about some of the uh, Kelvante Dixon, a uh, Kennedy yeah. Lewis, a uh, uh, Dejon Harrison, a Marcus Washington, uh, guys that we've seen maybe flash here and there, guys that maybe we haven't seen flash at all. Uh, and he can really get a really good idea because this is the kind of stuff that helps you figure out. Uh, you know, maybe we were planning on taking, you know, three receivers in this twenty twenty one and this twenty twenty two class, but man, I saw what we got in the roster of spring ball. We better go ahead and take four just to be sure uh, and, and get some new blood into this room. So it's it's a it's a pretty pivotal time uh, for that position right now. Yeah, and if you talk about just the way that it may, plays out for Sark's first spring, because like you don't want to say you know what you have in a guy like Smith and Whittington, and, but you sort of do. Now, they didn't overlap really on the field. One couldn't finish a game when the other only active. 
seemed like all the way across the season. And then you talked about O'Meary too, but at least you can see what type of receivers those guys could be. So in the theory of being able to manufacture the depth and be able to do that with the reps in the spring, I don't want to say it's a blessing in disguise. Somebody like Sark, he gets to get guys that truly have clean slates, a, a template nobody's seen, and he can sort of begin with that and get more of an example and more of a set to see what their skills are actually how they could be used so those are reps that maybe weren't going to be there so if there's anything to look at that could be a positive it's that now you'd rather have your top end players your top recruits and guys that really have looked special at times on the test be able to make it all the way through spring and you could film or form some chemistry and some cohesion with the guys that you think are going to be at the top of the if everybody was healthy and all things were equal but at least in this situation you get to look at some of the younger ones and see how the pieces at the unknown you get to start to be a little bit of the unknown you know matt you mentioned these guys couldn't get on the field at the same time but rod you remember that k-state game like when both of those guys were finally healthy and texas is texas is out of contention for the big 12 title and this is gosh i don't want to bash in tom herman and thinking about bad stuff but this is one of the things about the herman era that just infuriates you and you remember hey for this offense like going into last year like at this time last year like when we had we didn't know what was going to happen with spring ball, but we're thinking, like, and Tom Herman even said, like, man, we get Jake Smith and Jordan Whittington. We could utilize both these guys, you know, get the ball in their hands and, and multiple different. Rod, do you remember how the happened? I remember that. Yeah. The, both both together, they, they run the first yeah. play. It's an RPO, a little RPO bubble. They send Jake Smith in an orbit motion and throw him over. Not a huge gainer, but it's a high percentage pass for Sam. You're getting the ball in his hand, out of his hands really quick, getting it to a playmaker. Right back, second play. It's a tunnel screen of Jordan Whittington for a big gain. And I'm like, wow, th- this is the offense we've been waiting to see all mm-hmm. year. And it just took till, you know, game nine for us to see it. But such is life. Yep. Um, but I, I think that's that's the enticing thing, Rod, is when both of these guys are healthy, both of these guys are right used properly. Man, they could be really dynamic. It's just we're going to still – and then more importantly, Sark's going to have to wait until fall camp to, to see what that looks like in a live contact setting. Well, you know, and, and Sark also – needs to make sure he's got contingency plans yes. for when those guys aren't yes. available. Be real about it. The reality is they're probably going to miss some time. I'm praying they won't. I'm praying it ends up being a Jordan Shipley situation, or, you know, like both scape situation where they've missed time and then boom, they finally hit it and they hit their stride and they can, but just in case they cannot, he needs to be ready with different personnel groups. So you know your running back position is probably your deepest position on offense in terms of skill positions, and it's going to be your most productive with Bijan Robinson. So I know you've run uh, two tailback personnel packages. Actually, watching that his time at Atlanta when he followed up Shanahan, he used a lot of twenty-one personnel and some twenty personnel, but it was with uh, Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman rather mm-hmm. than a fullback like Shanahan did because he was trying to transition that offense. It's probably what held back Sark actually a little bit too. The more film I watch of uh, his time in Atlanta, but I digress. My point being, you need to have two back sets ready to go. All right, I'm talking about for training camp, not now. I understand you want to you want to see what you have at depth at wide receiver, but you don't want to be experimenting with that crap when the season starts. Use your best play personnel out on the field as much as possible. I know Sark is going to do that, yeah. but just in case Jake Smith or Jordan Wings end up getting hurt and they're not available, or Josh Moore or Troy Mary for that guy. The guy says all, all the playmakers at wide receiver, we're talking about guys potentially that could be dealing with injury histories or whatever. So if that is the case, then make sure that you are still able to showcase your best talent and you can do that with your 20 person
personnel packages and your 21 personnel packages. Rojo in the field at the same time with Bijan Robinson can be really, really effective because both of those guys can, I think, do almost everything at the running back position. Um, Rojo can do it okay. He's okay at everything. Bijan is a superstar at everything mm-hmm. he does. Rod, are your, are your football pants going to be at full attention if we do see like some 20 personnel looks and some some 21 personnel looks with uh, with two running backs? Like, can you imagine like if Texas comes out, Rod, in 20 and 20 personnel, and you've got Jake Smith, Jordan Whittington, Roshan Johnson, and Bijan Robinson on the field at the same time? Like, are your, are your sports pants just going to go nuts at that point? Not really, because it seems common. It seems like common sense. To right, me. right. It seems like to me, it seems like common sense to put your best players on the field <laughs> to make the defense have to adjust, right? Because One then they think. figure, oh man, we have no matchup advantages across the board, and then it gives it stresses the defense more. So to me, it seems like common sense. My football pants would not be that excited. I wouldn't take them off because to me, it <laughs> seems like. That's just a natural football progression. Who are your best players on offense, skill-wise? All right, let's. how do we put all of them on the field at the same time to maximize and weaponize that talent? And the fact that that doesn't happen regularly at Texas, where you have so much skill talent, is just coaching malpractice. Yes, and I mean, that's the thing that we were talking about, and it was right before Herman got fired, but we were like, it's really going to be an amazing thing to sit back and be like, well, what what was the main reason you think you don't have your job? It's like, I maybe just didn't play my best players all the time. <laughs> and we're like, seriously, that is going to be the fatal flaw of the situation. Yep. And if you look at Sarkeesian and what he's done in the past, like if you're going to look at prior evidence, he's one guy that really doesn't care about that. He kept all those receivers out on the field together at Alabama whenever he had four of them and didn't necessarily have a distinguishing factor from one to the next where if you look at a guy in just his past history one in Herman was quite rigid and liked the way that he ran his things and was going to stick to it and spoke a lot about it and was successful up until his time at Texas doing so but if there's one thing that Sark's talked about he's talked about getting the best players onto the field and he said that multiple times at multiple stops so I'm hoping that this is one where you don't have the the carrot dangled in front of you and then it's the little okie doke and they change it up on you because right now all the evidence says he's going to be a guy that's going to do that rod what just out of curiosity what what does get your your football loins stirred like because like like for me <laughs> like it's uh, if i see like a, a beautifully executed like pit and pull scheme on the offensive line like i'll tell you one of my favorite plays i've, I've ever seen executed live you remember i think it was a divisional game it was maybe harbaugh's first year with the 49ers uh, when they had, had Alex Smith and they they sealed that win the, the divisional game against the Saints. They ran that little pin and pull scheme and they get Joe Staley. It's like a, a little ta- they pull the tackle and Joe Staley like is going up yeah. the field and leading Alex Smith on a quarterback sweep. I'm like oh my, I'm like oh my god, yeah. that's just that's beautiful. And uh, then with Kaepernick, they did that yeah. constantly against the Packers. Yeah, what what stirs your football loins, Rod B? Oh man, uh, that's a good one. Uh, I, you know, I, I think for me it is. I don't know. I like execution. So yeah, I think anything just a nicely executed play will get you going. But I like creativity, man. I, the, the I want to see something I've never seen before. I watched so much football in my time. When I see something that's either been really rare or something I haven't seen before, that gets me excited because that means there's true innovation happening. What, what was the, what was um, the Mahomes? And, what was the Mahomes play that you you texted? Matt and I like a, a gif of it. What what was that? What was the play? Was Mahomes it was, in motion? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, Mahomes, yeah. 
they went, they, yeah, they did a quarterback motion, which I've never seen Andy. <laughs> I've never seen anybody do. But Andy Reid, of course, yeah. probably the best innovator in football. They, they went empty formation and they put the quarterback in motion. I wasn't even sure if that was legal. Like I didn't even know <laughs> what that was. But yeah, Patrick Mahomes went in motion and took the snap while in motion mm-hmm. of an empty formation. Dude, who the hell does that? Well, and like, that's how do you yeah. prepare for somebody who thinks like that? That's and you know what? It wasn't even a really um, like it, to me. It wasn't an elaborate, exotic play, but it was all about the way they package it. You know what right. I mean? And Sark's a big guy in that too. Sark's big about the packaging of a play more so than uh, the the play being something uh, very, very elaborate and exotic in itself. It can just be a simple dive play or a simple, you know, it can be a simple uh, tack off tackle play. But the way he packages it and the cheat codes that he puts within it and uh, how he kind of functifies it with that funk, like Brian Harson says, the preset motion shifts. That's what makes it special. And whenever you see, I know it really gets me engaged into a play, and it's something that Shanahan was the one that's been doing it his whole career but when you can tell somebody and you may not get the ball to the guy but something's tied to the back end of every single play and it's something that Andy oh, yeah. Reid does on everything and like yep. I may get excited even though the ball doesn't even go to the guy but I see that they're tying something to the back of the play so later on in the game it's going to be tied there and there was things like at the beginning of the Greg, Greg Davis era I started to feel that way when I would see Roy Williams would be like motioned over and he was the first guy that that I remember seeing putting some massive six foot four, two hundred twenty five pound outside receiver into the slot, and it would be like one that he did in in the end around reverse when against Texas A and M. I guess probably in one is one of those that he gets him, and you're like, what? What's Roy Williams doing at the end of the line? Like he's a stand up tight end, and then like he's the guy that's going to be the devised back into the play to get the end around and stuff like that. That you would see that you can sort of maybe see. In in the original formation and it piques your interest, but then it doesn't go to them. But then later on in the game, it actually does. And you're like, Oh my God, he's been doing that for the last three quarters. Yep. So just a little whole football theory there. Yeah. Rod, I remember the Mahomes play. Cause you texted me and Matt, like just randomly on that Sunday, like, Oh my God, did you guys see this? Did you guys see what just <laughs> happened in the chiefs game? So yeah, amazing. I, 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 I forgot that was the one play that uh, that got Rodney <laughs> going. But Rod, I think what stirs the the loins of a lot of Longhorn football fans is quarterback play, and whether it's stirring the loins, the brain, or whatever, uh, quarterback is the topic du jour, especially anytime you've got a a good old fashioned legitimate quarterback battle, which we've got on our hands this spring. And I'll start with this. I, I help me understand this, Rod, if you can, and Matt, if you want to chime in as well. I don't understand why every time – I see a lot on the flagship message board at Horns 24-7 and a lot, obviously, on social media. Anytime this quarterback battle gets brought up, somebody or a group of people feel the need to, like, just bag on Sam Ellinger and throw Sam Ellinger under the bus. And, I, like, I understand that's kind of the way society works. But for this fan base, when you, when you went – so long without like a legitimate proven commodity. Like, regardless, no matter where you want to rank Sam Ellinger in the pantheon of Texas quarterbacks, where wherever you want to put him, that's a debate for another show. But like Rod, to me, like you go that long from Colt McCoy to Sam Ellinger. That's how long you went without a proven commodity at that position. And proven commodity commodity to me means you've got a guy that every time out when he's taking the snaps, 
you feel like you got a chance to go beat anybody you face. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, Sam Ellinger gave you that chance in his career. I just don't understand like why the Casey Thompson Hudson card discussion has to at some point turn it out. Oh, well, I mean, well, hopefully he's better than Sam. He's going to be better than Sam and do it better than Sam. Sam was garbage. Sam lost this game, blah, blah, blah. I just don't, for this fan base, this quarterback starved as it was for so long. I just, just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, it's um, it's unfortunate because I, I do think that basically what happened with Sam is uh, Texas fans forgot how bad quarterback hell was mm-hmm. <laughs> because Sam, we kind of took Sam for granted, basically, yeah. uh, I think as a fan base. That's a short, because, that's a and, short memory and, then. Yeah, exactly, right? It's a short memory. And because, and, we, and there's an underappreciation element here where we underappreciated what Tom Herman did for that quarterback room. And it's the overall hate for – and I think this vitriol for Tom Herman overall has also kind of – I think Sam Ellinger has gotten a little bit of that. Yeah. It's strange, right? It's, the, it's the Tom Herman era period, and Sam Ellinger gets some of the vitriol – that I think Longhorn fans are directing at Tom Herman, but he ends up getting hit by it too, almost as a collateral okay. damage. And Which is I also think funny that's what's happening here too. Like sort of been a guy that brought back Texas football to a degree. Like the the program is much better since Tom Herman got here than before Tom Herman was here. So it is Same sort with Sam. of. Yeah, it's sort of odd to think about it this way than how it played out. But I think it's because, you know, if if you don't if have as good of a 2018 and you just reorder these seasons, it'd be interesting to see how they're remembered. But I think getting to the idea that you're back and then not being back again sort of erased any type of, you know, gains that came, even though at the time, like, yeah, you would prefer Texas be better now. But they are in much better hands across the board, most duly to Sam and to Tom Herman, but it didn't necessarily get to the end point where you wanted, and you peaked in the middle instead of at the end, so it just didn't really lay out that way, so you still are sort of stuck. Well, Texas football still isn't back and isn't good. Who do we blame? And that's the simple lowest common denominator at all times. It goes to the quarterback and to the coach. When it comes to this quarterback competition, guys, I'm down to this, right? And I, I kind of I've hinted on this the last couple of shows, but this is the more I think about it, this is really where I'm at. This is the main objective for this quarterback battle this spring. It's not to determine a winner. If you do, great. Okay, if Sark feels like he comes out of spring with a guy that he feels like he can go compete for a Big Twelve title with, then so be it. To me, guys, the main thing is keep these guys invested in the chase as long as possible, so that one of these guys does not enter the portal at some point between now and the start of camp. Basically, you need to make sure you get to and through the preseason, get to September 4th with both of these guys still on your roster. That, to me, is the main objective this spring, is to keep both those guys invested. Because if one of them leaves, then you just got to go with the one who stays. Mm -hmm. Charles Wright's your backup quarterback, and then you're right back into that unsavory, all-too-familiar scenario where nobody listening to this podcast wants Texas to be. And and to your point, Rod, Sark's inheriting a quarterback room, and credit Tom Herman for this, because when you look at the quarterback takes that he and Tim Beck had in their time together, you've had Cam Rising transfer, Jaquinnon Mm -hmm. Jackson transfer, Roshan Johnson moved to running back, and you're still taking over a program, replacing a four-year starter with a guy who's going into his fourth full year in the program in Casey Thompson, and a guy who was a top, 
60-ish recruit in the country in Hudson Card who didn't have to play last year. The only time he played was because it was mop-up duty and the situation warranted it. So both these guys have had a chance to sit, watch, learn, and develop, granted both at two different rates. But, man, that's about as good of a situation as you can hope to walk into considering the circumstances. I just hope it stays that way for a while. Yeah, no, that and I, I agree with you 100%. That is your ideal goal is those guys invested, but also that they're actually uh, competitive against one another. Right, it's right. a true quarterback competition because what you don't want to happen is because I know Sark is thinking along the lines you are uh, just about the, the, the quarterback room overall and just making sure you have as much talented depth there to use your term as you as you can is that. You know, it's inevitable that one whoever, whenever you name a starter, the other quarterback is going to look at the transfer portal. I just think it's inevitable. I don't know how long it'll take Hudson Card to do it. I think Casey Thompson will do it immediately. Remember, he's already done it. So yeah. props to Tom Herman again for actually being able to re-recruit yeah. him and bring him back from the transfer portal. But if you are not willing to name a starting quarterback in the and through the practices and you know through the off season and you know the locker room. They all have pretty much uh, shown you that this specific quarterback should win the battle, and you still won't name a starter. You could lose your locker room. Yeah, right. The, yeah. I would say the quarterback battle is like an election, and it, it, the, the the locker room is going to ultimately decide. Mac Brown told you. I mean, the players picked Colt McCoy, and then Colt McCoy ended up, you know, confirming or affirming that you know, that that selection by the locker room because he also won the quarterback competition against Jevin Sneed. So if Sarks, if the, if it's obvious that let's say Casey Thompson is winning the quarterback competition, he's killing it in practice. He's mashing in the scrimmages in the off season. He's got the leadership role. The players are responding to him. And then Sarks like, Oh, it's still, uh, both of these guys are taking reps with the ones. It's still a quarterback battle. The locker room's going to go, are you serious? That, that yeah. guy's winning the quarter. That guy, that guy should be the starting quarterback. You don't want that to happen. I think that was some of that with Mac Brown and the way you know that he was handling some of the Chris Sims, Major Applewhite stuff. So you don't want to mismanage it. I think Sark already knows this. Mm-hmm. So you got to be careful if it is defined who the starting quarterback is. If that guy's just better and he's the he's got the the locker room, he's got the locker room one over, he's got the leadership qualities, all that kind of stuff. You can't really help organically where that goes. You don't control that. You can't control the reps, and you can control, you know, the who they play with. If one guy's playing with certain receivers, and one guy's playing with a certain old line, all that kind of stuff. So you can adjust the competitive roles of each, but you can't control if a guy's balling out and wins that quarterback competition. That's what Max showed us about the Cole McCoy Jevin Sneed competition. He said Cole McCoy won it. I couldn't keep Jevin Sneed committed because Colt McCoy won it in the offseason, and he also won it on the field. It was obvious Colt McCoy was the guy. He was he was throwing less interceptions and more touchdowns. What do you want from him? That guy won it, yeah. even though Jevin Sneed was the number one quarterback in the country. Didn't matter. Yeah, to your point, Rod, uh, and this is just me kind of spitballing, thinking out loud, I'm thinking if Sark, if Sark does name a starter, if one of these guys balls out and earns that job, let's say he earns it by the end of spring, I think if you're a Texas fan, you almost at that point should hope it's Casey Thompson because I think Hudson I, – I, I agree with you 100%, Rod. I, in my mind, Hudson Card is more likely to stick it out thinking, okay, I can be the backup, but I'm one one snap away from being the guy than Casey Thompson is to stick it out and say, look, I've been here. This is my fourth year in the program. I've already been behind Sam Ellinger for, for three of them. 
Uh, I think Casey gets his degree in May, I think, if he doesn't have it already, but he's on track to graduate. I I think he graduates in May. I think that's when he's done. But I digress. He's at the position where he's like, look, I can go into the portal and and grad transfer right now and and go somewhere and help somebody right away. So I think if if you're thinking along the lines that Rob, Matt, and I are, and I think we're all on the same page, and you say, okay, then in that scenario, who if somebody does claim it early, what's better for the program? I, I think it's Casey Thompson winning the battle. That's a good point. I agree with you because I think Hudson Card believes that ultimately, you know, that that Casey Thompson would lose that job. Like he would stay a little bit more committed, not only because he's from Austin, but he's younger. Uh, Casey Thompson, because of that bowl game that he had, I I think he believes that. Not only should he be the starter, and I'm not saying that he shouldn't, uh, but he believes that he could be a hot commodity on the open market because he's got that film out there. Now, Mm -hmm. it is a small sample size, but it is an electrifying sample. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is an extraordinary sample, and he's right. I mean, some team out there would love to have him there. Hudson Card, too, because we hear more about Hudson Card, but we've seen more of Casey Thompson. So I'm a little torn, too. I don't know who's going to win the quarterback battle. Genuinely, I am – Straight up 50-50. I can see it going either way. Yeah, me too. There's not a – I mean, this is – again, Sark is in a unique position where he is the first head coaching hire in the post Darrow Royal era to take the Texas job and inherit a quarterback room where there is not one single game of starting experience in that room. <laughs> so he really is starting from the ground up. It just – there's it's, it, that whole room, both those guys are balls of clay that he can mold into whatever he needs them to be for this offense to run. All right, we'll pick it up next week, and hopefully we'll have some spring practices to talk about, but I'm not going to jinx anything at this point. I'm just going to shut my mouth, ride the wave, and let it all happen. We'll be here. (laughs) Matt, thanks thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod, we appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at the Austin Radio Network and the Horn Live Local and Digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com, where you can hear Rod B on the triple option each and every weekday from 3 to 7. Shameless plug. You can also catch myself on Craig Way each and every weekday on Light the Tower from 10 to noon. And thanks to Matt, you can get our archives, our classic interviews and shows all available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Don't forget to search Horns 24-7 Podcasts anywhere you get your podcast. Just search Horns 24-7 Podcasts. Click the follow button to subscribe to our podcast to get every episode of State of Recruiting the Flagship and Longhorn Blitz. And don't forget to leave us a five-star review. For the Horn family, for the Horns 24-7 family, I'm Jeff Howe. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You've been listening to Longhorn Blitz with Horns247.com. Remember, for the latest Longhorn news 24-7, visit Horns247.com.